Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. All right. How's it going, everybody? Woo! All right. I found a Hershey's Kisses. Just like here. All right. I'm just going to throw it. Whoever catches it, it's yours. Congratulations. This has nothing to do with an illustration. It is not spiritual. It's just something I wanted to do. Congrats. Who won it? Who got it? Let's go. Major dub. All right. Hey, guys. What's going on? How are we? Um, woo! Welcome to Wednesday night. Best night of the week. Come on. Pat yourself on the back. You are here. You showed up. Some of you were on time. Some of you weren't, but you're here. And that's what's, that's what's important. Um, open up your Bibles to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6. How many of you have been sick from school in your life? Let's start there. A lot of us. Homeschool, again, the analogy falls apart. I'm sorry. But like you usually go to a building that isn't your home for a school and then you stay at home <laughs> that day because you're sick. Now, I don't know about you, but like, have you struggled to find anything to like watch on TV during like the daytime hours? You're like watching the prices right for the third time. And you're like, how did they not know a microwave didn't cost this much, right? I think, yeah, right? Okay. Now, for me, I always felt like I ended up randomly watching these like courtroom drama TV shows when, yeah, has anyone seen those, right? Some crime shows and then half of it's in like a courtroom. What's that? I don't know what she's saying. Um, but like, has anyone got stuck watching those? Now, I used to find these incredibly boring as a student. But as I've gotten older, I'm like incredibly fascinated with courtroom dramas. I don't know why. I think there's like this deep sense of like justice that I have deep within my soul that is, makes it like very interesting to watch some of these TV shows and movies. Okay, I was thinking of two of the most famous courtroom dramas potentially of all time. Maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you haven't. The first one is To Kill a Mockingbird. And uh, this was a book originally. And uh, we can throw out that first picture. This is a book originally that was turned into a movie. And um, To Kill a Mockingbird is a story. Uh, it's a story about a man named Atticus Finch who is to defend another man named Tom. And now Tom was falsely accused of a heinous crime. And uh, it's a story where you're rooting for Atticus and you're rooting for Tom because you want justice to win in this moment. How many have seen the movie? Okay, yes, all the leaders in the room, obviously. Who, who's read the book? Yeah, all right, good job. Probably, probably uh, a lot of us. And um, if you've watched this movie, it gets really intense. Yes, it's black and white. Yes, it's old, but it is an intense, amazing, classic piece of American literature. And you just want good to win. You want the innocent to go free. You want him to be acquitted. You want him to be um, taken off the trial. Now, there's another famous uh, movie. This one was not a book, I don't believe. It may have been. Uh, this is uh, a little bit later. This is A Few Good Men, and this was in the early 90s, right? This was before I was born, guys. Come on. Um, this is the early 90s. This is Tom Cruise, Mr. Kevin Bacon. Now, I can't quite recommend this one because there's some bad words in it. Ask your parents. But... Um, a lot of bad words. But this is another famous courtroom drama, but we find ourselves in the complete opposite situation. Instead of 
someone innocent being on the stand. We see Tom Cruise's character. He uncovers a conspiracy and he is fighting to have the truth of light come today. And we desperately want the bad guy to lose. We want those who are committing crimes and those who are um, hurting other people, we want them desperately to lose. This is where the famous like, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. That's this movie. It's very good. It's very intense. Um, And it's the exact opposite. What is about an innocent man and the audience is hoping to see them acquitted. The other is a few guilty men and the audience hopefully wants them to face justice desperately. And all of us have a strong innate desire for justice to happen, to go forth, for people who do wrong to be punished and people who are innocent to to go free and to be free and to continue to not face consequences uh, for their innocence, right? And this is why stories, I think, like this are so captivating to all of us in this room. We want the good guy to get the justice and go free and we want the bad guy to be punished. It's satisfying, right? Now, what about a story where the guilty man is acquitted. Not as cool. How about a story where the guilty man is not only acquitted, but the innocent man takes the punishment? It's kind of backwards, right? We don't like to see that. Now, in today's story in Micah, Micah chapter six, there is a full courtroom drama that is unfolding. You know, sometimes pastors use illustrations or ideas or uh, pictures to kind of like convey their point and to kind of try to convey what they're doing. I think Micah is doing that in one of his, probably one of his many sermons to the Israelites. He is using this illustration. God is setting up a case against his people, those who are doing wrong, those who are seeking to destroy, those who are uh, abusing the poor, those who are dishonest in their business dealings, God says, all right, we've got a case. And it's pretty intense as well. In the case of Israel versus the God of the universe, the verdict will result in destruction for covenant failure. But what about for all of us? What about for you and me? In the case between you and a holy God, what are we going to do? This courtroom drama unfolds in verse one. We're gonna read verses one through five. This is God's word. It says this, hear what the Lord says. Again, very, very much a prophet. This is, he is directly speaking for God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to a specific group of people at a specific group of time. He says, hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and have redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Remember, oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him and what happened from Shitham to Gal, Galal and what you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So God is establishing his case here in Israel. So this is the first point. God is establishing and setting up a case before his people. 
It's quite interesting. It's quite fascinating. If you were in the room, you wouldn't want to be indicted by the God of the universe, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, um, but they're designed in such a way where they're supposed to feel intimidating. Um, the judge is higher elevated than most, most court cases. The judge is there in the room, kind of literally and figuratively standing above everyone else. Um, and this is a tense scene. This is a tense moment. It's supposed to feel that way. It's supposed to sound that way. That's what God's communicating. And he says, plead your case before who? Really fascinating. Verse one says, plead your case before the mountains. So we're thinking about this. The people who are sinning would be sitting behind the bench. They are accused by God, who in this case is often the judge. And he's saying, make your case before not other people, not other witnesses, but the mountains in the very foundation of the earth. You're like, this is very poetic and strange. A little bit. Um, Leviticus and Deuteronomy speak a lot to God's law. And um, they speak a lot about uh, what the people of God are supposed to do in the case uh, against their brother or sister. Um, in a case where someone was accidentally killed or whether there was an intentional crime committed. I don't know if you've read through all of this. It's really fascinating stuff. God sets up a plan in place. And many of these crimes had to have a witness. There had to be the witness of one or two other people before the trial could even happen. And it would go to the priest and it would get figured out there. We don't follow those um, anymore, but this is what the Israelites had to do. And what God is doing in this moment, he's calling his witnesses the mountains and the foundation of the earth. Because God is so holy, God is so reverent, God is so high and lifted up that the very mountains, the earth that God has created speaks to his glory and can back up his side of the story. That's what I kind of interpret this passage saying in this moment. Arise and please your case before the mountains. Uh, the mountains is also where uh, the original sin of idolatry comes in with the golden calf. And so there's a lot of things that God is saying uh, kind of in this poetic moment. But what he's trying to do, he's, got, he's trying to get the ears of deaf people. Uh, people who are spiritually deaf. And he's trying to wave his hands at people who are spiritually blind. He is trying to do everything he can to communicate this fact. There's been a great sin in Israel and God is going to do something about it. So he establishes his case against his people. I like verses three and four. It says, oh my people, what have I done to you? God starts off by asking a question. This is a great leadoff question. Hey, what have I done? How have I wearied you? As the people are living in sin, as the people are living in the consequences of their self-destruction, God is like, have I bothered you at all? Have I bothered you at all by, oh, I don't know, bringing you out of slavery, giving you leaders, giving you truth, protecting you from evil enemies? Did that bother you? Did that weary you? God comes out swinging. It is awesome. When I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Moses obviously is the one God lifts up to uh, lead the people out of slavery. Aaron, his brother, Miriam, his sister. Aaron would be the chief of the high priests. He would establish the priesthood. Um, this is an important group of people. God says, hey, did, did it bother you when I gave you leaders to follow who led you out of Egypt? And he also brings up this weird story, the king of Moab, basically. The king of Moab tries to curse the Israelites. He sends Balaam. Balaam, there's a talking donkey involved. That is absolutely 100% true. Don't have time to get into a ton of it. Read it on your own. It's fascinating. It's a strange story. Balaam tries to curse the people of God. 
and God doesn't let it happen. And he goes back to the king. And he's like, I actually couldn't curse them. I had to bless them. And the king's like, what's going on? What do you mean? I'm like, what did I hire you for? Um, and God says, did that bother you when I protected you? Did I like get on your nerves when I tried to do all these things? God is establishing his case. These two cities that are mentioned, east and west, God is saying from the east to the west, all that I have accomplished in your land, my righteous acts, what have I done? God establishes his case. And we've seen it before. There is dishonest abuse of power that is going on. There are prophets that are preaching falsely for money. There are people who are deeply abusing the things that God has given them. And God is not okay with idolatry. He's never been okay with idolatry. God asks, what have I done to you? I think it's really interesting um, that even throughout human history, we've been so prone to walk away from the good things that God has given us, even when he has shown us blessings. These people would have heard stories and legends of these people who brought them out of Egypt. They would have heard of the glory of the Lord splitting open the Red Sea and crossing across dry land. And from Joshua and beyond and on and on and on, so many stories of success, but yet the people still turn away. And I think all of us struggle with that. It doesn't matter how many times God has revealed something to you. It doesn't matter how many times God has shown up in your life. We all sometimes struggle to kind of like veer away. We all struggle to think, yeah, okay, I know God is good. I know what he has set before me is good, but like I kind of want to see what the world has for me too. And there's no blessings in that. I think we have to remember what God has done in our past and remember what God has done in our lives before so that we can appreciate and know that God is gonna pull through for us again. I think it's important that we remember everything that God has accomplished and everything he has set out to do, he has promised to do, he has fulfilled. We need to remember that in your life when you are in a season of depression and anxiety, when God leads you out of that and when he heals you from that or when uh, the world just seems to be crashing in around you or God provides for your family, whatever it is, whatever God has done, we should remember these things because we know when God, pull, like, when God shows up for us in the past, we can truly believe that he will show, us, uh, show up again in the future. Despite God's goodness, we tend to steer towards sin. It is an issue that we all have to wrestle with. We all must know. We all must grapple with this. So the court is in session. The king of the universe is making his indictment against people who are sinning. The people are going to respond. Again, this is Micah. He's preaching. He's using this as an illustration. These are God's word, but he's using a very creative way to communicate a point here. And the people respond like this in verses uh, six through eight. Verses six through eight say, uh, say this, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings or the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? As he has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? 
but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So through Micah's preaching, the people are responding and they say this, what can I come before God with? Now this isn't irreverent from everything the context is showing us. This isn't out of reverence. This isn't out of love. This is out of um, spite almost. Well, like what does God really want me to do? Should I come before him with a burnt offering, a calf, a year old? What about a thousand rams? What about a thousands of rivers of oil? All right, God, what about my firstborn son? Will that account for my transgression? And from everything we can see within the context of this, this is, this is not a genuine question. This is people that are um, just trying to say, God, what's the minimum? What do you want so you can get off my back? This isn't love, this isn't kindness, this isn't the relationship that God wants with his people. Uh, faith is all-consuming in our lives. Faith is all-consuming. Faith isn't an accessory. Faith isn't an Instagram bio. Uh, faith isn't words. Faith isn't actions when people are looking. Faith is all-encompassing of the entire person. And Micah says, God's told you exactly what's good through his law, and this is it. It is to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. All three of these things are attacking people who are preaching for profit, falsely, people who are abusing the poor, people who are taking other people's land. He is addressing every single one of those things with three actions. This is what God requires of you, to seek justice, love, mercy, or kindness, and to walk humbly with God. That's what God wants. I believe God wants the same for you. Those three things are the summation of the law and the prophets, right? When someone asks Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We see something very similar in here because the first two commandments are only possible when we love others, right? To do justice or to act justly and to love kindness. These are both dedicated towards other people and to walk humbly with God is a vertical relationship between me and God. But interesting, two out of the three are about other people. Because the way we show our love for God is by loving others. That's consistent throughout the scriptures. It's been consistent 720 plus years before Jesus. This is what God says, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. That's what Micah says. The people are in this position in their hearts right now. They're saying, all right, God, what do you want? You want a ram? I got a ram. I got a thousand rams. You want them? Fine, just take them. You want a bunch of oil? Fine, you can take that, God. Whatever, like whatever. And if you and I are asking ourselves, what's the minimum amount we can give to God? We're asking the wrong question. That's the wrong question entirely. Your heart's not in the right spot, sorry. All right, God, just tell me what's sin and like, can I get like right up to it? Is this sin, is this not sin? I'm just gonna like do it, whatever. You want me to pray to Jesus? Well, like, I don't have to face the consequences of my sin. Sure, that's fine. If we're asking ourselves these things, what is the minimum of what God requires for us? We're asking the wrong question because God deserves everything. And the sacrificial system is only a temporary solution to the problem of sin. We learned in Hebrews that the blood of rams and goats has never, ever forgiven you of sin. It doesn't today, thank goodness, and it didn't then. It was a brief atonement for sins, but the ultimate thing that cures us 
of our sins is always been belief in God. Those looking forward to the Messiah and us looking back to the Messiah and Jesus Christ. And in this moment, we see this in the Psalm as well. In, in sacrifices, you did not delight, you did not desire God, but a contrite and humble heart. All throughout the scriptures, God has been reaching for something deeper and it's our hearts. It's our very souls. It's our very being. It is an all-encompassing thing. And the people's response is really discouraging in this moment. What shall I come before the Lord with, right? What can I do? I love this response. He has told you, oh man, what is good? If the Bible says that, you gotta like <laughs> pay attention. Like you gotta like write this down, study it. Like God says what is good. We ought to like, our ears are open, our eyes are open, our hearts are open. It is to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God. Let's define these things, justice. Fighting to make sure everyone is treated fairly by God's standards. I think that's what justice is. God's standards, not the world's standards, but, and, and God's standards are very high. Fighting to make sure everyone is treated fairly by God's standards. Um, this is a word we hear a lot, right? This is a word you may see a lot on social media. This is something that people may have marched for or paraded in, and it is a big topic in our culture. And God isn't silent on this idea. He wants God's people to treat others how God would want them to be treated. And again, we'll, we'll see here in the specific context, there are people who are being accused of dishonest scales, which is basically just abusing people who wouldn't have known that they're trading their money for less than what it's worth. Um, God is like, that's not cool. That's not good. Seek to do justice. Seek to uh, act justly. Um, and it starts with all of us. It starts with all of us to treat others how Christ would want them to be treated by making sure everyone is treated fairly by God's standards. If there's somebody in your class who's being bullied, um, I know it's not cool. Stand up for them. Who cares? If someone is being talked about behind someone's back, just say, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk about that. I don't think that's fair, right? And these are very minor examples in a world that is so unjust and blatantly chaotic right now. But we're, we're talking about our world. We're talking about the world that we all exist in. How can you seek to do justice? Kindness. Some translations say mercy. I learned it in NIV, which I believe is mercy. So if I say mercy, I'm sorry. But to do justice, to love kindness. Kindness is giving and showing others blessings that are not required or owed. Um, it, I don't owe you anything, but I'm required to give to you what I have. It's not out of obligation, it's out of kindness. Uh, because the Lord has shown mercy to me and kindness to me, I have to show that to you. And it's my privilege to show it to you. It's all of our privilege to show kindness to other people. Maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe they didn't do anything, right? It's, it's like, it's this thing that happens where someone treats you really well, you wanna treat them really well in return. If someone you don't really know that well is just like existing, you're like, I don't really know them that well. I don't need to do anything. But kindness and mercy says give to other people, everything that you have. All of your energy, all of your attention, all of the love that God has given you, return it, give it back. Seek justice, to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. First two commands are others-oriented. This final one, walk humbly with God. A consistent, holy view of God and a small view of myself. When God is big, we recognize how small we are. And that's how God wants you to live. 
God wants you to wake up every morning and to recognize how small you are and how big he is. And that's gonna result in humility. That's gonna result in us walking, right? It's not a sprint, it's not a marathon. It is a daily decision to walk humbly with God. When you can, um, when you can give back hate or you can give back anger or you can give back anxiety or you can give back whatever people throw at you, God says, walk humbly with him, treat others with justice and mercy. That's what God has required of his people in this moment. And they haven't done it. They haven't done it. They've broken all the rules. They've broken everything that God has told them to do despite him being good and merciful and just to them all of their days. Um, God's saying in this, in this situation, not only are you not supposed to abuse others for no reason, you're actually supposed to show them kindness for no reason. It's the exact opposite. Sin is showing anger and hostility for someone for no reason. And God says, no, 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 not only just not do that, but do the opposite way more. That's what God's doing in this moment. That's what God is showing. When the world can show you hostility and anger and injustice, do the exact opposite. Show kindness. When it's not owed and it's not deserved, show mercy. And in all of this, walk humbly with God. It is one of the most amazing verses of the Old Testament uh, for a reason. It's one you should know. My um, cross-country coach and my biology teacher in high school, um, she made us, I, was, I went to a Christian school and she made us recite this every single day before we started class. It was a bit weird, right? But now, now looking back, it's not weird. It's awesome. And I learned it in the NIV. So we'd have to sit, we'd get into class, we'd open up our stuff and she'd walk in and she said, class, what does the Lord require of you? And we'd all stand up. We said to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. And I think that's a really good practice to have. I did, I don't know, 200 times that year. How, how many days are we in school? A lot. And that's why it's so ingrained in my soul. So I'm really thankful for that. But um, let's keep going. So the scene is set. The jury's out. It's the hills and the mountains and the very foundation of the earth. And this is what God is going to say. The voice of the Lord cries in the city and it has sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and in the scant measure that is accursed? Verse 11 says, shall I acquit the man with wicked scales, with a bag of deceitful weights? Again, this is a very specific context here. He's talking to people who may have been money changers or trading goods and, and selling things. And a dishonest weight uh, basically is abusing people who maybe wouldn't have understood where they're trying to trade silver for gold or vice versa. And the person who is in charge is making more money than they should. Um, this isn't like regular, honest business. This is deceitfulness. And God is like, no, none of that. Um, he calls them out again. He says, your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow making you desolate, desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. This is a picture of what happens when sin rules our lives. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but you shall not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. 
For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all of the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels that I may make of you a desolation of your inhabitants, a hissing, so, uh, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. Omri, Ahab, these are evil kings of the past. They started evil practices in the kingdoms. People haven't turned from them. And he's like, you're still doing the same stuff that they taught you to do. So this is God's verdict delivered. This is God's verdict delivered here in verses nine through 16. Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. Because of the wickedness and the injustice and the pride of God's people 720 years before Jesus, they're doing the exact opposite of what God has required and there will be a punishment guilty as charged. And it is a sober scene. It's not a... um, it's, it's not a fun scene. It's not a beautiful scene. It is somber. Uh, God is never honored with deception, systematic abuse of power, deceit, embezzlement, lying. God has never been okay with this. And while many of us may not be doing those things specifically, we all still have a core problem. We all still sin. So let's fast forward past Jesus to today. What does this passage mean for us in light of the work that God has done? If you were to stand before the Lord for your sins, what would you say? If you were to stand before the Lord, and sure, maybe you don't struggle with like dishonest weights and like scamming people in your school. That might not be it. But what are you going to answer for your anger? What are you gonna answer for your lust, for your envy, for your anger? What am I going to answer for all those things? I'm in the same boat as you. Just because I stand up here doesn't mean I don't sin. Trust me. What are we going to give to a response? And maybe you're saying, okay, well, like, this is just like talking about a specific day of judgment that God delivers upon this specific group of people. That is absolutely true. And we have to be very clear that this is written in a specific context and at a specific time. And there would be consequences for these people. But what about us? What does God say? Well, let's look at Matthew 12. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. That's Jesus talking about a judgment day that hasn't happened yet. Interesting. Or what about another one? Romans 14, 10 through 12. It says this, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God. So then each of us will, be give, will, will give an account of himself to God. When the day of the Lord comes, what can we bring before him? When the day comes for you and me, none of us know what it is. What can we bring before God? I want us to look back at verses six, seven, and eight, or excuse me, six and seven here, and listen along. Again, this is kind of, in this context, these people are saying this kind of sarcastically or whatever. 
And they say this, with what shall I come before the Lord with and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come with him a burnt offering with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, for the fruit of my body, for the sins of my soul? When I am accused of sin, what will I plea? The only answer is to plea Christ. That's it. That's all we can do. What can I possibly bring before God to atone for my sins? It's not a bowl. It's not a ram. It's not oil. What can I do? What can I possibly bring before the Lord? The only answer in the room, friend, if you're listening tonight, the only answer is Christ. That's it. There is only one who can take away and atone for your sins. And that's Jesus. That is your only uh, defense. It can only be this sacrifice. It can only be this atonement. It cannot be your actions. It cannot be your good works. It cannot be sacrifices that you bring to the table. It can't even be kindness, justice, or humility. It has to be Christ. Mark 10 says, for even the son of man did not come to serve, or excuse me, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, the legal talk continues hundreds of years in the future. And Jesus says, I am your ransom. To ransom something is, is to free something, to release something. And Jesus says, the son of man himself came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. His very life will be the thing that can equip you of sin, acquit you of sin. That's it. That's all we can plea. Look at this verse. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The pagans around the world at the time, human sacrifices, child sacrifices, it's awful. It's horrible. God's never asked his people to do that. And right now, they're saying, what, you want, you want me to give my firstborn son the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? No, but God would send his firstborn son. Shall I give my firstborn? No, but God would. God would send the firstborn of all creation, Colossians tells us, to this earth to be a ransom for us the perfect spotless lamb would be the only thing that could acquit his people of their sins. The perfect spotless lamb is the only solution today. The perfect spotless lamb, his one eternal sacrifice, once and for all, Hebrews tells us, is the thing that equips us, acquits us from our sins, who takes away our transgression, who takes away the transgressions of the very world. Now we do not come before God with our firstborn. God gave us his firstborn and only born, the firstborn of creation. And when you put your faith in him, he will save you from such sins. So what about the story of justice? What about the story of a guilty man getting acquitted and the innocent man being punishment and being punished? That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of our lives. And in that complete and total sacrifice, God has forgiven you if you put your faith 
in him. Case closed. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for this truth. I pray for everyone around the room who's hearing these words for the first time and is like, I need that. It's all I got. That's all I can put my faith in right now. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them and move in their hearts and that they would know that there is forgiveness from their transgressions because they get to plea your son. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you that we couldn't, we couldn't bring a big enough sacrifice to the table if we tried. There couldn't be a, an adequate substitute for our sins except for Christ. God, thank you for that. Thank you for providing us that. Thank you for um, reminding us of that. And Lord, I pray for the person who is um, struggling to believe that. Help them to believe that their, their sin is paid for. It is thrown as far as the east is from the west and they are white as snow. They wouldn't turn the sin because they think they need to or deserve it, that they would just throw that all out. And God, I pray for uh, the person who's very, for the very, very first time hearing such things like this and they're just like, is it true? God, remind them that, yes, this is it. This is my story for you. This is my path for you. This is my son for you. God, I pray that even in the midst of our chaotic world, world where injustice is happening all around us every day and it is hard to watch sometimes, God. I pray that we would be people of justice, that we would be people of kindness, that we would be people of mercy, that we'd be humble and contrite in our soul and in our spirit, God. I pray that for our students, for our leaders, for our church, through here and uh, throughout the world, God. I pray that we would be reminded of that. And God, in this space, I just pray that if, if there's a person in the room right now who their heart is stirring and they're like, man, I, I need this. And man, everyone thinks I'm a Christian already, but I just understood it now for the first time. I pray that they'd be bold, that they would share that, that they would speak that even as they sing, God. It's not the words they say. It's not the performance that they do. It is a broken heart that they bring before you, God. So I pray that they would, uh, they would show that, that they would trust community. And I pray that if there's a person in the room that has questions, that they would come to a leader and they'd share and they'd be humble enough to say, hey, help, help explain this to me, God. But we pray all these things. God, only your spirit can do these things. We pray all this in Jesus, your name.